0: Hi, I'm Robert Jeffress, and I'm glad to serve as your Bible teacher every day on this great radio station. On today's edition of Pathway to Victory. Now, all of these principles about the God ordained role of government brings up the interesting question well, is there ever a time that Christians need to say no to government? So, for a few moments, we're going to pull back and we're going to look at what the Bible says about when it's right to disobey government.
1: Welcome to Pathway to Victory with author and pastor Dr. Robert Jeffress. You know America was originally founded as a Christian nation, yet in recent decades politicians have started to dismantle our country's biblical foundation and establish laws that are hostile towards Christian values. Today on Pathway to Victory, Dr. Robert Jeffress explores whether or not Christians should ever disobey the government. Now, here's our Bible teacher to introduce today's message. Dr. Jeffress? David, I'm going to begin today's Pathway
0: to Victory program with a question. What will happen when lawmakers decide that Christians can no longer gather on Sunday mornings? Oh, I'm not talking about social distancing. I mean, what happens when local authorities keep us from gathering at church because those same lawmakers have concluded that the Bible contains hate speech? Now, I know that sounds ridiculous. But is it really far-fetched? Even while this program goes out today, left-leaning lobbyists and special interest groups are working overtime to muzzle Christians and to take away our freedom to teach the truth of God's Word. So today and again tomorrow, we'll conduct a relevant study from Romans chapter 13. This passage gives us the biblical position on civil disobedience. Well, because of these threats to our religious freedom, all of us at Pathway to Victory are resolved to move forward with boldness while there's still time. And when you give a generous gift before the deadline of July 31st, I'm going to say thanks by providing two exclusive resources from Pathway to Victory. The first is a brand new book I've written called, America is a Christian Nation. This exclusive book is filled with inspirational quotes that reinforce the truth about our Christian heritage, and a series of beautiful photographs that illustrate the glory of America as well. Now, the second gift is a DVD that contains the message I gave called, America is a Christian Nation. We'll say more about these resources later in this program, but right now it's time to open God's Word to Romans chapter 13. I titled today's message, To Obey or Not to Obey. Let's look at what the Bible says about government. Look at verses 1 and 2 of Romans 13. "'Let every person be in subjection to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except from God, and those which exist are established by God. Therefore, he who resists authority has opposed the ordinance of God.' And they who have opposed will receive condemnation upon themselves. God says government is necessary. Look again at verse 1. Every person is to be in subjection to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except from God, and those authorities which exist are established by God. When he talks about authority here, Paul has in mind legitimate government authority that has been vested with the responsibility of ruling over people. Legitimate government, legitimate nations that have been vested with that right. He's not talking about ISIS here. ISIS is not a legitimate governing authority. He's talking about legitimately appointed authorities. But he's also saying authorities, even if they are crooked and even cruel, are still established by God. Now, that's hard for us to stomach, isn't it? The government that isn't perfect is still established by God. Remember when Paul wrote these words, remember who the ruler of the world was, the ruler of the Roman Empire. His name was Nero, Nero the guy who used to use Christians as human candles in his garden. And yet Paul said, even Nero has been established by God. If you find it hard to believe that, think about Jesus' words in John nineteen eleven, As he stood before Pontius Pilate, who would order him crucified, remember what Jesus said to Pilate? You would have no authority over me unless it had been given you from above. The implication is clear. God had given Pilate his authority. Well, why would God do such a thing if Pilate was going to use that authority to murder Jesus? Because even the murder of Jesus was part of God's inexplicable plan that resulted in our salvation That's why he says in verse two, therefore, whoever resists authority has opposed the ordinance of God. If God has set government in place, then doesn't it stand to reason whoever disobeys government, resists government, is actually disobeying God and will receive condemnation upon themselves. Now, I know this is raising all kinds of questions. Are you saying, pastor, we should always obey government and never resist? Aren't there any exceptions? We'll get to that in just a minute. But notice the general principle here is, first of all, government is appointed by God. Principle number two in verses three and four, government's purpose is to establish order. The reason God put governing officials in place is to keep order in the world by punishing evildoers and praising those who do well. Look at verses three and four. For rulers are not a cause of fear for good behavior, but for evil. Do you want to have no fear of authority? Do what is good, and you will have praise from the same. For it, talking about government, is a minister of God to you for good. That word minister in Greek is the same word we get deacon from. Government is a servant to us for good. But if you do what is evil, be afraid, for government does not bear the sword for nothing. That's a clear reference to capital punishment. Government has the right to take a life. It doesn't wield the sword for nothing. It is a minister of God, an avenger who brings wrath upon the one who practices evil. I want you to notice in these two verses, verses three and four, three principles Paul gives us about good government. Government that is fulfilling its God-ordained purpose. Number one, good government should not be feared by those who do good. He says that clearly in verse three. If you do the right thing, you don't need to be afraid of government. That is most of the time. That's a general principle. As long as you obey the traffic laws Pay your taxes. Don't blow up buildings. You're going to be okay. You don't have to fear government if you do what is right. Principle number two, good government instills fear in evildoers and serves as an instrument of God's wrath. Look at verse four again. Government does not bear the sword for nothing, but it is a minister of God, an avenger, Who brings wrath on the one who practices evil? That word avenger in Greek is ektikos. Ektikos. It literally means an agent of punishment. That's what government is. An agent of punishment. Now stay with me on this. The purpose of government is not only to prevent evil, but it's also to bring wrath upon those who do engage in evil. God has given government the power of the sword to execute those who do evil. And that's why I'm such a strong believer in capital punishment. That's not an opinion. That's not just permissible. It is God's preferred method for dealing with killers. Number three, good government serves and seeks the good of the people. Look at verse four. Paul said, they are a minister of God to you for good. When government fulfills its divinely ordained purpose, it's going to serve the people. But when government ever strays beyond its boundaries into areas it has no business getting in, it is serving itself. These are the principles of good government. Number three, citizens should submit to government, Paul says. Citizens should submit to government. Now look at verse five. Wherefore, it is necessary to be in subjection, not only because of wrath, but also for conscience sake. Now think about this. If government is ordained by God, if it has a divine purpose in society, then it only stands to reason that as Christians, we have a responsibility to submit to the governing authorities. How do we do that? How do we act in subjection? He says we do it not only because we're afraid of the wrath of government, but for our own conscience sake. Notice the two ways we submit to government. First of all, we submit by treating governing officials with fear and honor. Those are the words he uses in verse seven. Give fear to whom fear is due, honor to whom honor is due. What he's talking about here is a respect for the authority that God has set in place. Now, you know these days, policemen everywhere are in the crosshairs of criticism. Now, I realize all policemen aren't perfect all the time. After all, my brother's a policeman. I understand that better than anyone. (laughs) They don't always get it right. But listen to me, most of the time, they do get it right. And before you blast an email to me, hear this very carefully much, most, most, not all, but most of the conflicts with police today is the result of citizens disobeying the God-ordained authority God has placed over them. That's what is going on here. You know, I don't understand. I mean, it's just incomprehensible to me. Teenagers and young adults that cry, police abuse, police abuse just because they didn't stop when the police said stop. Where did these people get the idea you have the right to say no to a policeman, to an ordained authority? The fact is, the Bible says, look at this verse, whoever resists authority is resisting God himself. When these teenagers and young adults say no to police, it is as if they're saying no to God. Now again, that's not true every time. Some of you are going to send me an email and you're going to say, well, what about this case in New York? And what about this case? And what about this case? Have you ever stopped to think about this? The reason Gretchen and newscasters report this story is because they are news. They are the exceptions rather than the rule to how police conduct themselves. You don't hear stories about police who act rightly every time because that's the norm. The exception is when police abuse their authority. And listen to what the Word of God says. When you resist the police, you are resisting authority. And if you do what is right, you have no fear of authority. We submit by treating with fear and honor those whom God has placed over us. Secondly, we submit by paying our taxes. Do I hear an amen on that one? Probably not. <laughs> but that's what Paul says. He said if government is going to fulfill its duty, it's going to have to be funded. Look at verse seven. Render to all what is due them. Tax to whom taxes due. Custom to whom custom. Fear to whom fear. Honor to whom Honor. This is what Jesus said in Luke 20, verse 25, render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's. Now, all of these principles about the God ordained role of government brings up the interesting question. Well, is there ever a time that Christians need to say no to government? Now, if you read Romans 13, one to eight, there are no exceptions to this. But Romans 13, 1 through 8 are not the only passages that speak about our responsibility to government. And we know that the way to interpret scripture is through other scripture. So for a few moments, we're going to pull back and we're going to look at what the Bible says about when it's right to disobey government. May I remind you that Peter, Paul, Jesus himself all lost their lives because they said, no to the governing authorities? What should be our response? As we're going to see in a moment, there are times that we must say no to government. But let me share with you three principles that you need to consider before you engage in civil disobedience. Principle number one, if you choose to say no to government, base your disobedience on a clear biblical mandate. Make sure you are basing your disobedience on a clear biblical mandate. Sometimes, government regulation, even that involves religion, doesn't necessarily need to be disobeyed just because it involves religion. Let me give you a couple of illustrations of that. For example, our government says, if our church wants to retain its tax-exempt status, I as pastor cannot officially endorse a political candidate from the pulpit. Now, privately, I'm free to say and do whatever I want to. I can be somebody's campaign finance chairman if I want to, it doesn't matter. I'm not going to, believe me, but if I could if I wanted to. I could stand up here and tell you who I'm voting for personally, but I cannot officially endorse a candidate or we lose our tax-exempt status. Now, if I say, you know what, you know, baloney to that. I'm a preacher of the gospel and I get to say whatever I want to say government says, fine, we're going to yank your tax-exempt status. And if that happens, I'm not suffering for righteousness' sake. I'm suffering for my own stupidity, okay? That's not persecution. Uh, Christians who say, uh, I'm not going to pay my taxes because I don't agree with the way the money's being used. I don't like it going to support abortion or this uh, thing or sexual immorality. I just don't like that, so I'm going to withhold my money. Jesus said, render unto Caesar the things that are Caesar's. Remember, he said, pay your taxes, even though the Roman system would end up killing him. He still said, even though it's corrupt, you need to pay your taxes. So if somebody doesn't pay their taxes and go to jail, they're not going for righteousness sake. They're going for their own dishonesty and not paying their taxes. You know, people who are involved in protest, Christians, and they violate somebody's property rights and they're arrested. Again, that is for disobeying governing authorities. Not every government law that has religious overtones necessarily needs to be disobeyed. We need to make sure that the law we're disobeying is a contradiction to a clear biblical mandate. Number two, if you engage in civil disobedience, demonstrate respect for authority when you disobey. Demonstrate respect for authority when you disobey. I believe in these Days as we see our country moving further and further away from its Christian heritage, we are going to have to say no to government, especially as they begin to abrogate our very real First Amendment rights of free speech and the free exercise of religion. But when we disobey, we don't have to act like jerks in doing so. The Bible says we need to act with respect. Principle number three, when you engage in civil disobedience, And this is one that a lot of people miss. Be prepared to suffer the consequences for your disobedience. Be prepared to suffer the consequences. I'm really surprised at Christians who boldly decide to stand for their faith in their workplace. And then they're surprised when they get fired. Well, well, wait a minute, God, this isn't supposed to happen. You're supposed to honor me for my obedience to you. Some people take a stand for Christ and end up in jail like, wait a minute, that's not supposed to happen. They think somehow that if they do the right thing at the last moment, God's gonna exempt them from any kind of suffering. It doesn't work that way. If indeed you choose to disobey government, you need to be ready to suffer the consequences for that disobedience. I think about the experience of Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. Many of us are familiar with his letter from Birmingham Jail. Dr. King was incarcerated. Because he led protests, protest, nonviolent protest against racism. I want you to listen to what Dr. King wrote. He said, One may well ask, how can you advocate breaking some laws and obeying others? The answer lies in the fact that there are two types of laws just and unjust. I would be the first to advocate obeying just laws. One has not only a legal, but a moral responsibility to obey just laws. Conversely, one has a moral responsibility to disobey unjust laws. I would agree with St. Augustine that an unjust law is no law at all. Now, what is the difference between the two? A just law is a man-made code that squares with the moral law or the law of God. An unjust law is a code that is out of harmony with the moral law. Dr. King believed that any law that codified racial discrimination violated not just moral law, but the law of God. And he said no. He wasn't surprised that he ended up in jail. He didn't complain about his mistreatment. He knew that was the consequence of civil disobedience. And it's going to be the same for any of us who say no to government. I want you to mark this down. Remember, most Christians are not spared the consequences of saying no to government. After all, even Daniel had to spend one night with the lions for his disobedience to Darius. Or think about Paul. He lost his head because he said no to the Roman government. Or think about Jesus. He was crucified because he would not renounce his divinity that he was the son of God go back to Acts chapter 5. What happened when Peter said no to Caiaphas? What happened when Peter said we must obey God rather than men? Did Caiaphas suddenly say, oh, Peter, you're right and I'm wrong? I don't know what's wrong with me that I would have said such a thing. Now just go on your way and I'll leave you alone. Is that what happened? Was there a supernatural deliverance? Look at verses 40 and 41. These Jewish authorities flogged Peter and the apostles and ordered them to speak no more in the name of Jesus and then released them. They were beaten because they said no to government. But what was their response? Look at verse 41. So they went on their way from the presence of the council rejoicing. Rejoicing that they had been considered worthy to suffer shame for his name. That don't make the wrong application here. Does that mean we're not to do anything about Christian persecution in our world? Does it mean when we see our brothers and sisters in Christ around the world being slaughtered that we're supposed to say, oh, what a privilege it is for them to suffer in the name of Christ? No, we're to stand up against evil. As we see the beliefs of conservative Christians increasingly be marginalized. As we watch our rights being taken away, our First Amendment rights, which our forefathers gave their life's blood for us to have. We're not to stay silent. You say, well, where do you get that in Scripture, pastor? Look at the example of Paul. Paul was the greatest missionary evangelist in the world, and yet he spent two years tied up in the Roman legal system, fighting for his rights as a Roman citizen to share the message of Jesus Christ. No, this passage is not saying remain silent when persecution comes. But what the passage is saying is this. If indeed you suffer for the name of Christ, rejoice in that. Consider it a privilege that God would allow you to suffer in the name of the one who came and bled and gave his life for us. Remember the promise of Paul in 2 Timothy 2.12, For if we endure with Him, we shall one day reign with Him. In all my years in public ministry, I've never witnessed a political divide like the one that splits our country right now. In America, there's a groundswell of sympathy toward godless behavior that threatens our democracy, and it's time for all of us to become active in pushing back the darkness. I was encouraged to read this powerful note from Susan who said, Pastor, I've been concerned for quite some time about America and the situation in which Christians find ourselves, but I felt compelled to do something. So now I host a prayer group in my home. I'm going to have my group watch your message, America is a Christian Nation. Well, thank you, Susan. You're a true Christian patriot. And if Susan has inspired you to take your next steps, let me urge you to contact Pathway to Victory today so that you can take advantage of the helpful resources I've prepared just for you. When you give a generous gift to support the ministry of Pathway to Victory, I'm going to provide the DVD that Susan mentioned in her note. It's called America is a Christian Nation. In addition, I'm going to send you a brand new book I've written for you by the same title. My book includes quotations about our nation's Christian foundation, plus a series of scenic photographs that display America's unparalleled beauty. Thank you so much for standing with Pathway to Victory we are uniquely postured to leverage our impact all across America for the gospel of Jesus Christ. And it's because men and women just like you are stepping forward to give. We couldn't be heard without
1: friends like you. David? Thanks, Dr. Jeffers. Today, when you support the ministry of Pathway to Victory by giving a generous gift, we're going to say thanks by sending you the brand new book, America is a Christian Nation, along with the companion message on DVD. To request your copy, call 866-999-2965 or go online to ptv.org. Now, when your gift is $125 or more, you'll not only receive the book, we'll also include the CD and DVD teaching set for this month's series called America and the Bible. Plus, you'll get a bonus book from Dr. Jeffress. It's called Praying for America. But July 31st really is the deadline for requesting these resources. So don't hold off calling any longer. One more time, here's the phone number, 866-999-2965, or go to ptv.org. You could also mail your gift to P.O. Box 223-609, Dallas, Texas, 75222. That's P.O. Box 223-609, Dallas, Texas, 75222. I'm David J. Mullins. Join us again next time when Dr. Jeffress shares what we can be doing right now to prepare for the imminent return of Jesus Christ. Hear a message called, It's Later Than You Think. That's Friday on Pathway to Victory. Pathway to Victory with Dr. Robert Jeffress comes from the pulpit of the First Baptist Church of Dallas, Texas.